We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'm hoping the Big Ten has to modify their system for us. <laughs> it's probably like getting grade 10 sandpaper rubbed on your face every day. I mean, we say it all the time, whether, you know, there's two types of turds, you're a sinker or you're a floater, but you're still a turd, right? I mean, um, we're, we're, we are about players and players playing the plays and not necessarily the plays. Welcome to the Varsity Club Podcast. My name is Derek Peterson. It is early on a Thursday morning. Early for me on a Thursday morning. I have three of your favorite Hale Varsity writers joining me today. It's Nebraska's bye week. So we're going to be talking about just the season to this point. Kind of assessing where Nebraska's at, where Nebraska has still to go. We're going to get into that conversation uh, and probably talk for for, for quite a bit. Greg Smith is joining me. Greg, hello. How are you? I am well. Um, I'm very upset still, as I told Steve earlier this week, that it is hoodie season. As you have on a hoodie, Jacob's got a quarter zip on. Steve probably has a closet full of quarter zips behind him. Uh, I am not thrilled about this. What's wrong with hoodie season? Sucks, man. Like, bring back the sun. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to derail this thing to start the whole thing to start it off. As you just said hello, but did you just say I, that hoodie season sucks? I'm I'm bitter about this, man. Like I, I've been on a rampage for like the last two weeks. I feel like we've had this conversation many times. <laughs> we have, I, we had it, two and years I ago. and I always forget that this is your stance, yeah. and then you remind me of it, and I just I just lose a little bit of respect for you each time. But apparently, it, it that doesn't last because I forget about it, and and <laughs> you jump right back up, um, Steve. Hello. How are you? Hello, Derek. I am doing great. Um, as with you, I am always shocked when I hear Greg's stance on fall weather. It's disappointing. It's just everything you can think of, think about. Um, I mean, it's about 40, 45 degrees right now, and it's awesome. I want to go on a walk. So I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm very excited that the cold weather has arrived. I am right there with you. It is, uh, it's cold and, and cloudy and wet here uh, in Arlington Heights. It's 50 degrees. Um, and it's, it's getting to the point here where it's like super cold in the mornings. And so you dress accordingly. And then in the afternoon, it's like, oh, I need to take the hoodie off. And then when you take the dog out for, for like the last walk of the evening before you go to bed, it's like if you walk outside in shorts, you're just going to hate your life. Yeah. It, that we're, we've reached that point. Um, and last but not least, I haven't had him on this podcast in a very long time. I'm very excited to have him back. Jacob Padilla. Jacob, hello. How are you? Hi, I'm, I'm great. I'm excited to actually be here. Like you said, it's been a long time. It has been a while. You, uh, I, so so it, because it has been a while, we're not going to talk about the Suns, but I am going to give you a chance to, uh, to, to strut your stuff on uh, what happened with Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers at, at Soldier Field, um, specifically because we have Greg on this podcast. Is there anything that you would like to say regarding the Packers-Bears rivalry, regarding Aaron Rodgers' subsequent ownership of a certain NFL franchise? Anything that you would like to add? 
I, I honestly don't think anything needs to be said. I think Aaron said it all. I think Bears fans know it. They know the situation. Greg knows I'm ver- it. I'm very happy for you in the sense that that that's like a very legitimate thing that you can say. Like, I, no, nothing <laughs> else has to be said. He said, I own you. Every single person in that stadium knew it. I'm happy for you that that's the case. That's yeah. what makes it so much worse. It really does. <laughs> like, there's really nothing to even like combat that with. So I will just hope we move on quickly. Before we started, well, no, we're not going to move on quickly. Before we started podcasting, Greg, you said if he played for any other franchise, I would be fine. Any oh, other yeah, franchise? I, yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. Like he, like the way that Aaron Rodgers operates, um, would really it really appeals to me. It, except for like every time I think it's the off season, and I'm like, yeah, he did something funny. Um, I got to remember that. Oh, yeah, he's going to come beat the Bears twice during the season. So I can't like this guy too much. So yeah, it, it's it's a rough spot to be in. Hey, um, he, he has done something wrong in that he needs to get a haircut. The hair looks weird coming out of the back of his helmet, especially because he has a helmet that's like 50 years too old. <laughs> that is true. There you go. Yeah, I agree with that. But um, I, that's kind of how I feel about LeBron, uh, Greg. So um, it's, it evens out. Yeah, it's unfortunate situation on uh, for him to be there. But oh, well, at, at least I haven't had to watch it for his entire career like you have. So yeah, I, I feel much better about that. This Lakers, this Lakers team this season is probably going to be extra painful for Jacob to watch because not only does it have LeBron on it, he's going to have to sit and watch Russell Westbrook try to coexist with dudes and apparently play with Rajon Rondo at the same time. Yeah. Uh, so No, that, that actually makes it better, Derek. That makes it better? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, I, honestly, the fact that uh, Steph Curry had a 21-10-10 triple-double on 21 shots was just magical in that game. This is the ultimate troll job. Welcome to the Lakers, Russ. I'm going to go out and do what you do. Yeah, we're one game into the season. I'm already upset with Frank Vogel. Like, I can't – like, how much longer is that going to be a thing? Like, you can't play those <clears throat> together. Um, you also can't play Russ with two bigs. Like, it just doesn't – like, it, it feel like I'm going to be having, like, this internal struggle for half yeah. the season at least while Frank Vogel figures out what he actually needs to do while the rest of us already know it. Hey, hey, what did I tell you? It was either last week or the week before on your podcast. What did I tell you? I said, just be patient. The, the first couple of weeks are going to look terrible. Because when would you rather have him learn that he can't play Rondo and Westbrook together? The first game of the season or the 83rd game of the season? This is true. You did warn me. Anthony Davis tried to warn everybody. Like, I get it. But it's, it's different when you end up seeing it and you just get frustrated anyway. So the question is, does he believe it can work? Or is, does he really not have any choice because of the players on the team? Like uh, he kind of has no choice at this point not to play Davis at the four and play the two bigs uh, because they just aren't going to do that all season long and put that wear and tear on Davis and he doesn't want to do it. And obviously you're not to the point where you're going to stagger Russ with the starters because the starters are going to be playing so much. So um, I I feel kind of like he's trapped a little bit with that. And then I think some of the Rondo stuff where they didn't, uh, some of the guys that were hurt and they, they don't have any, they, they felt like uh, maybe he could kind of guard Steph. Um, so that, I think that might've been part of it because you definitely don't want Russ doing that. So um, I, I think part of it is just the roster itself and kind of the player preferences and um, the way you kind of have to do things. Um, at least I would hope so. I, I, I don't think it was all right. You know what? This is going to be a great lineup. I'm going to try this. This is the only way we're going to be able to win here. 
I, Does, I will choose to hope that you are correct in that. <laughs> and that the in the injury thing is a, is a part of it too. Like they do need to get the full rotation back because all those guys are wings that are hurt. But like, I, I don't know. Like this is just my entire frustration with Vogel is that eventually I feel like he will adjust because he did it two years ago. Like this is kind of his MO, um, but we'll see. Like I would just like it to be faster. <laughs> hey, hey, just think about it this way. I was so excited for the Thunder to open their season on Wednesday night in Utah against the Jazz. And I was excited for a quarter and they got down by 20. And I was like, all right, time to go watch a different game. This is my lot in life this season. So did you, um, did, did you uh, get to see the Isaiah Roby dunk at least? I did. I did. Okay. Yeah. Well, I got to go. see, I got to see Roby. I got to see Darius Baisley. I got to see Josh Giddy do some cool stuff. I'm giddy for giddy. And um, we'll get rolling. Jacob, you said something. Does he have blind confidence or faith or trust that it's going to work or is he just trapped and i got to say what an absolutely beautiful segue into what we're going to talk about today on this podcast as it relates to nebraska do you you should have a podcast you should have a podcast which you do i do plug it uh yeah the uh, nebraska preps post game uh with damon benning and myself uh recapping basically uh high school sports we're uh heading into the high school football postseason here in Nebraska, kind of the stretch run. Um, so check that out. And we may or may not have something else in the works for basketball season. Just stay tuned on that. Greg, you also have a podcast. Why don't you plug yours now too? I do. And before I plug mine, I will say, make sure you guys are listening to Jacobs as we head into the playoffs. It's, it's really good. I'm excited personally for the class B playoffs. Um, very random unless you live in Nebraska, but it's going to be uh, very good. Uh, I host the Straight Up Breakdown podcast where I get to, get to spread my wings a little bit and not talk all the time about Huskers, which is what we'll talk about today, which is fine. Uh, there's a lot to talk about, but I also try to mix in some NBA, some NFL, a lot of other things, give you the real breakdown of everything that's happening. And I get to put people on blast and call them haters um, every week, which is both my favorite times in the show. Elsewhere in the, uh, it's not it's not the cinematic, it would be the audio matt audio centric elsewhere in the hail varsity network universe brandon vogel has his own podcast the id preview show podcast go subscribe to that aaron Sorensen and sasha durkin also have the mind your own podcast go subscribe to that give all of these shows a five-star review and rating that stuff helps also email brandon and aaron to try to get Steve his own podcast because he does not have one. But Steve does have premium stuff that goes up every single week that you need to be reading. And in order to do that, you got to subscribe to hailvarsity.com. So hailvarsity.com backslash subscribe, and you can read all of Steve's excellent stuff. He had one story this week about Nebraska's red zone inefficiency that we're going to talk about um, later on in the podcast. So make sure you get all that stuff taken care of. There's a new magazine coming as well. Also, shouts to Cam for producing this podcast every week. He's, uh, I hope he's smiling because I told him I wasn't going to do that anymore because of a, a certain hoodie that shall not be named. Guys, let's transition, to ne- <laughs> let's transition to Nebraska. So here's, here's, here's how I want to set this conversation off. Nebraska's at its bye week. It's three and five on the year. Disappointment, whatever you want to call it. Here's how I want to start. I just want to get kind of your guys's summarized thoughts on the first eight games to this point in the season. So view me as somebody who watched 2018, 2019, 2020 Nebraska football games 
I know the context around how important this season was, but I've been out of the country until today. I got back today. I had fun. Now I'm back. Now I have to learn all about this Nebraska football team. So maybe the fun times are going away. I would like each of you to summarize for me, however succinctly you want to put it, the first eight games of Nebraska football from your perspective this season. Steve, I'm going to start with you. Well, Derek, they can't decide um, on a running back rotation. They kind of have lately with Ramir Johnson. They can't play the best receivers on the roster. They don't really have an offensive identity aside from the quarterback, Taylor Martinez, scrambling when he can. And outside of oh that. Oh, my God. They- Freudian slip. Freudian slip. Oh, no. Yes. Oh, no. Love it. Taylor. Love it. <laughs> You've been watching the broadcast too much. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Continue. And outside of that, they can't win close games. So that is your uh, your your little snapshot of Nebraska 2021. Sounds very dire. It see doesn't sound good, honestly. There's no. not a lot Let's of like if- positive momentum going on. I would think. I mean, that makes sense for a team that that sits at at three and five. Greg, can you inject any optimism or sunlight into this situation, or is it still going to be as cloudy and dreary as as my outside looks right now? Uh, it's still going to stay dreary uh, because I, my kind of first snap judgment of how to explain this is that every time you thought that this team has had momentum so far this season, they have found ways to let that slip through their fingers, um, whether it be in individual games or week to week and an Ill- with an inability to like string like quarters together, much less games together. I would tell you if you haven't been watching that the defense has mostly held up their end of the bargain, but they get no help um, from the offense. And there are still a number of bizarre like personnel decisions that happen on a week to week in a game to game and drive to drive uh, basis. Jacob summarize this first eight games for me. Well, fortunately for you who have been out of town, I'm assuming you watched last season and the season before. So it's the same old movie um, they, they brought in some, some more well-known actors. Um, they've tried a few different things, but it's still the same director, uh, still the same, uh, the same predictable uh, story twists. Um, we're still ending up at the same place at the end of the movie, it seems like. So um, I, you really haven't missed a whole lot uh, in the grand scheme of things. It's kind of been the same old thing. I was uh, Tony Reale. I'd give you points for keeping the metaphor going. Congratulations. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> also, I'm glad you gave me uh, you went uh, keep, let me go last because it gave me time to kind of flesh that out yeah <laughs> <laughs> of course um, okay so I'm just going to go through let's let's this is this is going to be a wide-ranging conversation that's going to flow I don't really have a set structure I want to go but Steve you said something and, and Greg sort of piggybacked off of it can't get the best wide receivers on the field what do you mean why do you say that because Xavier Betts doesn't play consistent minutes. I think everybody who watches Nebraska football can look at a guy like Xavier um, Betts and want him on the field just because of how electric he can be with the ball in his hands. But for whatever reason, whether he runs the wrong routes, um, doesn't block well enough, doesn't perform well enough Monday through Friday, um, whatever it is, he can't find a way to stay on the field and the coaches don't seem 
comfortable putting him out there for whatever, for whatever reason. I think if um, that's, that's kind of an example of not putting the best receivers out there, Alante Brown, where is he gone? I don't know. Um, it just seems like another guy that could, could do things with the ball in his hands, but he just um, doesn't get out there. Um, but um, yeah, so that's, that's what I kind of mean by the receiver rotation and who they're putting out there. So I, I, Greg, I can tell you want to say something, but let me, let me say this first. So this is not, this is not a new situation with, with this regime. This is not a, a new sort of phenomenon. They have had this problem specifically at wide receiver for his entire tenure here. And it's, it's made more befuddling by the fact that he coached wide receivers before he got that kind of next big job. When he was at Oregon, he was their wide receiver coach before he was the OC. So this whole situation is, is very, very fascinating because you go back to J.D. Spielman was upset with whatever was going on and left, and he wasn't being used the right way. Their first year here, they added a bunch of receivers that were the exact same type, skill set, body type, and half of them felt that they weren't being used the right way. Then you get to Wando Robinson. He feels he's not being used the right way, and he leaves. Darian Chase was here for a year. That one kind of gets lost to the shuffle just because they had so many guys that have left. They have Jamie Nance and Demarion Houston that never see the field. Uh, Jamie Nance was a return guy who <laughs> maybe should have gotten a chance in the return game. Um, then you get to Alante Brown, Xavier Betts. Those guys can't get on the field. They can't stay on the field. There is a recurring pattern specifically at wide receiver where the guys that they invest a lot of time and energy and effort in recruiting don't see the field. And then you've got, and, and it sounds like I'm picking on them because there's the same few guys that I mentioned each time. I don't want it to come off as if I'm picking on them, but to an extent, because of the way that they've managed the room, I would say the coaching staff has put sort of this fan-based target on their backs, and that's Levi Falk, Wyatt Lever, Brody Belt, that sort of cast of characters, the walk-on guys that do really well in practice or, or that are local guys that, quote-unquote, understand what it means at Nebraska. Those guys are on the field and not necessarily producing it at the level that would keep them on the field. Meanwhile, Xavier Betts, Alante Brown, Betts comes in and has a big play, and then he disappears. So I'm not really sure what to. I don't. I don't know what's happening with this with this wide receiver room. Greg, you wanted to say something. Go ahead. I think that part of the problem here, and as you as it relates to to those that kind of cast of characters, as you turned with that that do get to play and that do like fairly or not have a target on their back from a lot of the fan base, is that you if in playing those guys instead of bets um and brown and in some cases manning too because he wasn't out there at the end of that michigan game so that got brought up as well i think to sum it all up it feels like nebraska doesn't always give itself the best chance to stress a defense based on who they're playing because when uh, the first group of those guys the lever falk belt group comes in like it just feels like a defense has no concern whatsoever that those guys are going to go by them and you at least have to have a threat out there and then what does that then leave it lead itself into is that teams just continuously pack the box against nebraska um, because they can and they're not threatened by what's happening on the outside and then it just continues to compound upon each other itself um, and that I think is why you end up getting so much like interest and kind of passion from the fan base about what's happening with wide receiver, because everyone can see 
mostly that that is not seeming to work to help the offense at all. So here's the counter argument to this. Um, Smory Torre leads the team in receptions. If you just look at wide receivers, Smory Torre is number one. Omar Manning is number two. Xavier Betts is number three in receptions. So like those are the guys that you would want, right? So the the counter to, well, Frost isn't putting, you know, their best receivers on the field for the entire game is, well, sometimes they snap it 80 times a game. They're running a lot of plays. They're going at a quick tempo. You need to have a rotation so guys aren't tired out by the end of the game. Jacob, is is that what's going on? Or is there something where you feel like there's a little bit of a mismanagement of the wide receiver rotation? No, I definitely don't buy the the rotation um, because you look at it again this past week, Levi Falk, 44 snaps. Um, the third most is Omar Manning with 21. I'm sorry, led the team with 54. So um, that's, that's not a, we're spreading everybody out. We're, we're giving everybody equal reps. We're just trying to keep everybody fresh. That's they just decided Levi Falk was the best option. And, and to be fair, he actually has been more productive than I think um, a lot of us expected. He's, especially over the last few games, last three or four games, he's really stepped up and actually has um, helped out the team, but he's still like fifth on the team in receiving. Um, and obviously Betts and Manning are ahead of him. And those are guys that it just it goes back to at this point in his tenure, how is it that there's still a disconnect between the, your most talented players and being able to play for you? And that goes back to, Obviously, there's some on the individual players here. They're not um, kind of living up to their side of the bargain, but these are the players that this coaching staff targeted and recruit uh, and recruited and put at the top of their board and put so much effort into getting to Lincoln, like he said. So at, at this point, if they still can't satisfy you enough to get on the field and play starters reps, then that's either a bust in recruiting or a bust in player management and ability to connect with these guys and help get them ready. Um, it feels almost like, well, we're just kind of giving up. We're just going with um, this guy that we feel has done everything. Um, obviously, you've got to reward the guys that do what they're supposed to, to a certain degree, um, for sake of culture, and kind of holding everybody accountable. But at the same time, you've got to be able to give yourself the best chance to win and get those best players out there and get them ready and coach them up. And if that's not happening that ultimately falls on you as a coaching staff. And I don't, like you said, you don't want to target these guys, but um, just a, a guy like Wyatt Lever, um, who he kind of went away and then came back again this week. And he had that one catch in the two-minute drill, but why is Falk and Lever the guys out there in your two-minute drill? Um, if those are the only guys that understand what plays you're going to run in the two-minute drill, then I'm sorry, that's on you as a coach. And we're seeing now that, um, like even with Samari Toure, uh, teams are blanketing him. He is not getting open. You've got to give get more guys out there that can win consistently, and whether that's to take uh, pressure off of Toure and maybe give him a, uh, better opportunities or step up and become the number one option because Toure is not doing that right now. Um, and that just hasn't been the case. And it's kind of – it's unfortunate. It's frustrating to watch because you do go out and see guys make – big plays and it just makes you wonder why can't we do this more often anybody else have any other thoughts on the wide receivers before we move on 
So it's interesting that we start here because it it's certainly Nebraska is not three and five simply because they can't figure out how to put their best skilled talent on the field on offense. That's certainly, um, I don't want to say a symptom, but that's, that's definitely a, an, an issue that they're running into and something that is playing a part in overall offensive inefficiency, but Nebraska is not three and five because of that. Nebraska is three, three and five because <laughs> like Jacob said in, in his summation of the season, it's the same movie over and over and over again. So this is really the big thing that I think the, the big question that everybody is thinking about and trying to figure out, well, can you answer this in a bye week it, the same movie, the same problems, the same mistakes, just manifesting themselves in different ways in different phases of the game. Sometimes um, who, who does that, who does that fall on? Who, who bears the most responsibility for Nebraska? They've got five losses this season. All of them have been in games decided by eight points or less over the course of Frost's tenure. He's five and 17 in those quote unquote close games, one possession games. He's five and 17 now, I believe is the record. So this conversation we had in our, in our big Slack group earlier this week and you know, it, it was perfect because it was kind of where I wanted to go with this podcast. Let's just talk overall who bears the most responsibility for where Nebraska is at this season right now. Is it on Scott Frost and the coaching staff for Jacob, like you said, not getting guys ready to go, not getting guys ready to play or, or getting guys on the field when they, when they need them on the field, making sure that guys are, are able to perform in those clutch moments, or is it simply – Adrian Martinez fumbled the ball in their three minute drive with like a second before the referee blew the whistle dead and Jacques Yant slipped. Otherwise he would have scored a touchdown against Michigan. Like, is it, is it players not, not playing to the best of their ability or is it coaching? I mean, which, which it's, it's obviously a little bit of both because it's a football team, but which bears more responsibility, Steve. Yeah. I was going to go, that's that's put it on both uh, Frost and the players because I I completely agree with you. If Adrian doesn't, um, if the, if a whistle is blown a half a second before Adrian Martinez is stripped in Michigan, who knows how that game ends? If Yant does something that he would do ninety nine out of one hundred times and doesn't slip on on the field and gets in the end zone, who knows how that game turns out? Um, so the team if is the punt goes right instead of left. <laughs> Yeah. 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 This team is close. And I know I sound like a coach right now and that's bad, but you, but at the end of the day, this is Scott Frost's program. This is his players. These are his play calls. This is his game management. This is his roster management. It needs to fall more on, more on Scott Frost. If you ask me. Anybody else want to jump in? Where are you guys at on this? Uh, I thought you were going to call I, on somebody. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, you're, you're I'll the go. Here, free flowing conversation, guys. Come on, free flowing conversation. Okay, so okay, okay. Here's I'm just not going to say anything the rest of the podcast. It's on you guys to carry it the rest of the way. That's fine. Put it on our backs. Um, if this was year one, and of of Scott the Scott Frost experience, and Adrian Martinez fumbled that ball, and Jack Yant. Um, tripped on the goal line and the punt went sideways and this ill-timed penalty happened in the Illinois game that caused a huge slide I'd say okay we, we got to have the players like hold up their end of the bargain 
But when those things have now happened for four consecutive years to, and as we say all the time, like there are always different things each week that happen to this football program. At some point that then just becomes about the culture or the type of program that the coach has built. Like the coach to me, Scott Frost has not built a, a program that cares about the details. And that's why they have so many issues with these details on a week to week basis, like all the time consistently. So, so me, question for you, question for you, yeah. because I, I get that part of it, but a lot of times when we have a conversation about detail mistakes or, or not caring about the little things enough, that conversation is specifically confined to the offense with a little bit of special teams. We don't really talk about the defense. So is it, is it about culture or is it about just, and this is the hardest part of it. Are they just unlucky? Cause I, I don't, say- I don't know if you can say culture because if, if there was a problem overall with the culture of the football team, that it would be impacting the defense as well. Now, maybe this is a unique situation because Frost is so hands-off with the defense and it's mostly Eric Chenander's reign. But I, I just think if there was a problem with the culture, the defense wouldn't be where the defense is at. And we don't really have a lot of problems with the defense, save for the Illinois game to start the season. And I don't want to pile on Frost yeah. here, but like it, it, and I say this, it does feel like the reason you don't have that with the defense is because he's extremely hands-off. Like, I mean, we have quotes with him yeah. saying that he doesn't pay attention to the defense um, in game or, you know, leading up to a game week, he's only watching the opposing team's defense. He hasn't really looked at their offense at all and leaves that all to Chenander. So I, I would say this, if you were ever going to have a situation on a football team where there would be a split in that, that kind of culture area, it would be on this type of team where the head coach is so hands-off with the defense and it doesn't say anything good that the offense that was the reason that he was hired is where you have all of the blunder. Yeah. And I, I agree with a lot of that. No, actually I agree with all of it, but also it's, um, it's not just that. Yeah. The, the players are making mistakes in bad moments, but it's all the other mistakes that are more kind of team driven and culture driven and, practice driven that kind of add up. So yeah, the Yant fumbled in that situation. That's bad luck. They had a few more times to score in that game afterward and couldn't take advantage of then either. So that made that one all the more important because it was their best um, kind of their best opportunity. Their most direct, like, Hey, we're going to score here. If, if we simply execute. Yeah. That was in the third quarter. Yeah. It's Um, not like that was like the last drive of the fourth. That was the third quarter. Yeah. So yeah, the players are making individual mistakes, but it's the overall problems with the program that keeps putting Nebraska in these one-score games to where those kind of mistakes are more memorable and more important and kill kill the team. So it's um, you can you can live with a, a quarterback fumbling the ball, you can live with a guy slipping on a certain play, but when you're also messing up a lot of plays and failing to establish the way that you want to play and control the game those become all the more important and that still falls back on kind of the team as a whole and how you prepare to get here and uh, what you are as a team so i think the the direction that this podcast is trending i'm going to be the scott frost defender here um 
And I think I'm going to do that just to have, just to have the opposing viewpoint. It's not necessarily, well, you know, I wrote the column. I was like, I, after the Michigan game, I was like, I think that Scott Frost is the guy. And so you look at some of the stuff that you saw in the Michigan game, which was carryover. I mean, they played three top 10 teams in four weeks and they were in the game with, which with each of those teams and against Michigan. And I wrote this at the time, it didn't feel like, they were in it because Michigan was screwing up. It felt like they were in it because Michigan was a good team and Nebraska was playing well and gave themselves a chance at the end to win. So I see Scott Frost's system working. I see it's, it's taken him time. The big 10 didn't adjust to him. He adjusted to the big 10, whatever. That's a piece of it, but he adjusted and I see his stuff working now. And, you know, Adrian Martinez is, is eighth nationally in passing yards. He's among the best in, in QBR and expected points added with ESPN's metric. They have a defense that's playing really, really well. And this is going to be probably an oversimplification, but it's, it's maybe just the, the clearest way that I can think to describe this team. I think they just have a good team with a four win offensive line. Like, I think they just have a really subpar offensive line. And if they had an even average offensive line, maybe an above average offensive line, they're a bowl team already. And, you know, it's, I think some of the stuff that has happened is, is just sheer dumb luck being unlucky, which sucks. But I think part of it is just, they don't have a very good offensive line. And when we were coming into the season, I know I wasn't alone in saying this, but I said the offensive line is going to be the most important thing for Nebraska football in 2021. If they have a good offensive line, it's going to carry the offense, but that offensive line is going to take Nebraska as far as it will take it. And so far that offensive line is, I said four, it's a three win offensive line right now. And I think they have a better quarterback than that. I think they have a better defense than that. And I don't think they have, you know, we've, we've said this, I said this on our Slack channel, Adrian makes critical mistakes at bad times. And he's done that throughout the course of his career to the point where you just have to say, that's kind of just who he is at this point. The turnovers are down. The penalties are down. They're doing things better. Culture sounds better. The stuff offensively looks like it's working. They just have a bad offensive line. And maybe that's all there is to it. And so do you put that on Scott Frost? Do you put that on Greg Austin? Do you put that on the offensive line? Probably a combination of all three of them. Um, do you guys agree with that assessment? Anyone can jump in. I completely agree with that because like, like if you follow football, your life, your whole life, you, you know, that um, offense, good offenses always start with an offensive line, right? If you can protect a quarterback and he's not second guessing himself and looking over his shoulder, every time he drops back, he's going to be more comfortable. Um, if you have a good offensive line, you can have a good run game. And just like Scott Frost says all the time, you know, if you can hit some run plays and make the defense understand that you can run the ball that opens up the pass with play action and and just all the window dressing in the backfield that he loves to do. I I think that's a, that's a great point, Derek. I mean that, but at the end of the day, I think you, you need to look at just the O-line recruitment there and just the way that they're teaching the O-line. And I guess, doesn't it just seem like there's a disconnect with like pretty much everything with the offense? Like it's not the same way on defense, um, Eric Schneider has that unit just humming right now. It's, it's, it's really, really good. And I really respected what they've done. Um, um, but on the offensive side, there's just like a disconnect and it all starts, like you said, with the offensive line, right? Just the way that they're teaching something is wrong, whatever it is. Right. 
Yeah, so far it seems like, and I and I like him, so this is going to sound harsh, but it seems like Bryce Benhart is an evaluation miss. So far to this point, now he can get better, players can develop, but so far to this point, it seems like Bryce Benhart is an evaluation miss. And Greg and I, you, you and I have talked about this a ton. When they have been building out their offensive line, they have built it out in a manner where they viewed Ben Hart and Corcoran on the right and the left side, respectively, as their sort of pillars of a really good offensive line. And they viewed those guys because of, you know, those guys were highly recruited, highly rated as prospects. They viewed those guys as, as building blocks for them in the offensive line. One of them has not been what they expected. And so they've had to do some adjusting. The other problem that they've had is they haven't been able to find a left guard until they found Nori Newilly. Um, Cam has been better snapping the ball. But, you know, they've just had to play shuffle at tackle. They finally find somebody in Teddy Prohoshka, and then he tears his ACL. So, you know, when, you, when you're not comfortable with your tackles in the Big Ten, when you're having to play these types of edge rushers week in and week out, it's going to cause problems. Um, so, you know, part of it is you can simplify it down to, well, it was an evaluation miss so far on Bryce Benhart, a guy they viewed was going to be a really, really important piece for them. And they've had to adjust for that. And that's, you know, that's, that's on the coaching staff. That's a problem, but it's also a problem that it's not easy to fix in season. Um, Greg, Jacob, how do you guys feel about the offensive line? Yeah. And I, I know you single out Bryce Benhart, but Corcoran has been as bad or worse on any. No. Yeah, absolutely. And so absolutely. That's, and that's the problem where, and Benhart wasn't, he wasn't great last year, but, I don't think he was as bad as he was this year. Same thing with Ethan Piper, where which is the I, real he, problem. Yeah, exactly. He wasn't great last year. Um, I know he got benched a couple of times and went back in there, uh, but he wasn't unplayable like he has been this year. So that goes back to kind of the overall um, kind of development on the team, in addition to the evaluation of it. And this goes back to the problem with the program and uh, at other positions as well. Uh, how many times? Uh, it's, they haven't had a problem recruiting. It's just the guys they brought in haven't panned out. And the degree that's happened, I don't think you can say it's all recruiting misses. It's what happens once these guys get here. And we're seeing that play out again with the offensive line. We've seen it time and time again with the skill positions. Um, and, and some guys defensively, um, not to the same degree, but, um, it just, it's a consistent problem. And that goes back to, the guys in charge. And yes, th- this falls on Greg Austin, but it also falls on uh, Scott Frost. I know he's, he's been hands-on somewhat with the offensive line with some of the personnel decisions. Um, he's kind of been the one making those calls. Um, and so it, it just kind of goes back to uh, the way they're developing. It goes back to the practice as a whole. Um, it goes back to the way you run your program. And Frost is ultimately in charge of that. And it's a Monday through Friday thing. And we're just not seeing whatever they're trying to do uh, work out for whatever reason. And specifically, sorry, Steve, I will get to you. And the, before I forget, the, the Ben Hart and Corcoran situation to me specifically is puzzling because I, I don't know how you go from Bryce Ben Hart being a like a big athletic tackle who wrestled in high school was a great like I didn't just say that he wrestled like oh he just did it but he was really really good um as a wrestler in high school in Minnesota so he was obviously athletic he had a mean streak to him he gets here 
And after a couple of years, looks like a totally different prospect and player. Like it, like the regression there is very noticeable, right? Like, how do you get to that point? How do you get to, you know, Turner Corcoran, a kid that could have gone anywhere in the country that he wanted to go. He's like kind of known for being an athletic tackle. Maybe he could have played guard. We'll see what happens down the line. But still, he was an athletic tackle, sweet feet, and then now he's getting beat around the edge. Now, part of that is, and Steve and I have talked about this, Nebraska basically, and this is what it happens in the Big Ten, every week you're playing against someone's elite edge rusher. It's just varying degrees of elite, right? Like, um, now I just lost his name, the guy from last week at Minnesota. Like, I guess – Boye like, Mafe. There we go. Thank you. Like he's closer, I guess, to the middle of that pack of those guys. And if he's in the middle of the pack, you know how good the edge rushes are in this league. And so to Derek's earlier point, like I think it was Derek, you can't just, you're not going to be able to get by with tackle play like this. And that's not even to say the guard play has been perfect because it hasn't been, but also within that, it goes to what Jacob was saying about the personnel decisions, because why are you at the point where um, Newilly plays now and he's been fine, but he was like fourth or fifth in the depth chart coming into the season. And it's not like he was a new player. He had been there. So there is still this disconnect at multiple positions, um, but also there is a development issue. Like there, there's been some clear regression from players, um, which it's really like, it's, it's alarming. Um, it's, it's not good because then you end up in a situation um, as I wrote for hillvarsity.com, where if you start to look at the transfer portal and Scott Frost said, Hey, we're going to go out and we need to get a couple of pieces and we need to find impact players. Well, where exactly do they need to go? Because I can make a case that every single position on the offense needs at least one guy that offensive line probably needs two different players, one at tackle and one at guard. And that's assuming that say you don't get like a wild card of putting this into the universe, but a wild card like Cam Jurgens decides to leave, right? Because then what happens? Like you just never know. And so they need a lot of help in various areas. Um, and I don't know if their development has been strong enough across the board offensively to really help that. Well, and the scary part is uh, this, the staff has I, uh, locked in on positions of need and gone out and addressed that. They, uh, they, uh, put a lot of resources into recruiting that offensive line and building up. And this is the offensive line that's like, all right, this is where we need to get to uh, wide receiver. They went out and they got the, after the kind of failures with all the little slot guys, they went out and got the bigger, more athletic receivers. All right, these are the guys we need. And now they're not playing them. So it, it hasn't been a problem with identifying, all right, what we need on this roster. They've gone out and done that pretty well. Um, it just isn't translating to the games. So that kind of, I think would have you a little worried about their ability to address the problems because it's not like they haven't gone down that route and um, tried to, all right, so we need this. We went out and got it and it just isn't working. Um, That's happened multiple positions throughout the team. Um, So where is your confidence that they'll be able to go out and fix it in the transfer portal and hit like Mel Tucker did, or whether it's the the players already on the team that uh, you, you feel like, were cornerstones of the last couple of recruiting classes that we haven't seen yet. Why do you, why would you have any confidence that these guys are going to be different? Um, so it just, it, it's kind of a tough spot to be in. Steve, do you remember your point? Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it was, no, that, that was great. But I was just kind of wanting to ask you guys a question about the offensive line and ev- everything that I've always read, like from coaches, from what they talk about um, to, to analysis about like, 
playing the game of football, they always mention that the offensive line is the most difficult to get good at right away, especially in a conference like the Big Ten, when you're going up against these NFL caliber edge guys almost every single week. Now, if we look at the career of um, Bryce Benhart and Turner Corcoran, they were thrown in there fairly early in their careers. Now, I'm, I'm just trying to play devil's advocate because the coaches say that, oh, we got some young pieces on offensive line. They're young, they're young. Is that just kind of like, like, what do we think of that? Because they are young players and they are playing in a very difficult conference to be an offensive tackle in, correct? And, and how do you get better reps? Um, so just what do you guys think about that and, and just kind of Brent Hart and Kirk Corcoran kind of being thrown in there earlier in their careers against NFL caliber guys almost every week? Well, I'm really glad you brought that up because this is, and like to, to play even more devil's advocate, this is, this is part of the problem with where he took over the program. They didn't have any depth on the offensive line. And so they've had to build depth on the offensive line. And, you know, when you, when you take over a new program and you have a guy like Brendan Hymas, it's, it's a little bit of a blessing in disguise because you look at him and you say, well, we've got this really good guy. We can, we can allocate resources elsewhere and we can focus elsewhere. Um, and, you know, maybe that's the wrong thing to do when you're building a program, but like what, what they've had is like it. Yeah. Turn, like Bryce Benhart has been around for a little bit, but Turner Corcoran specifically this season, just first time playing, mm-hmm. you know, he had one game against Rutgers, but this is his first time playing. And everything that they have said to this point was that they want to get to a program where specifically at the offensive and defensive lines, they are getting guys in and they're taking the Nash Huttmacher route. They are going and getting into the program and they're not playing for, you know, two or three years. They're just developing putting on strength, learning the ins and outs of it for two or three years. And they haven't had that luxury, I guess, on the offensive line. So, you know, and we're four years in, so it's not, it's not a Riley problem anymore. It's, it's a them problem because, you know, they could have gone out in the transfer portal and added people and they haven't. Um, but yeah, that, I think that's a really good point is that they do, you know, part of this is they, they just, they've got young, young tackles and, you know, you got to get those guys better by playing them. And those guys are going to get beat as they're trying to get better. Yeah. But um, also I, it, that doesn't speak to the, the regression. Um, and no, not at all. Th- and the fact that these guys are all in their third. Uh, so Corcoran's in his second year in the program, everybody else on that line that has played has been playing college. This is their third year or more of college football. So they're all listed as freshmen and sophomores but they've got a little bit more experience than kind of their, um, than the, that label would uh, suggest. And they do have older guys up there that, and we've seen what happens when they don't try to go young with uh, Matt Sichterman, who's been a good leader and he's done everything they needed of him and he's stuck with the program. And uh, it's good for him that he's earned the chance to play, but that, that's a, that's, that position has been a problem as well. Um, just even Jurgens, like he, he's played well for stretches, but it's not like he's been, a dominant all-conference level center week in and week out. So they just haven't played well at any spot along the line. And that does go back to development, regardless of the experience level of the guy out there. Yeah. But, and, and I'm just trying to say that this has been a thing. Ethan Piper played early. Cam Jurgens played early because he didn't have anybody else. Ben Hart played. They moved, I mean, you know, part of it was they, they wanted him to get on the field, but he played early and they moved Farniak inside. 
um, Corcoran has, has played early. Jacob's got to go in a few minutes. So I want to transition to, to this next kind of topic and get his thoughts first, because all roads here lead back to one specific conversation. There are four games left. Nebraska needs three of them. If it's going to go to a bowl game, if it doesn't get three of those four games, the schedule includes Ohio state, Wisconsin, and Iowa. They will not go to a bowl game for the fifth consecutive year. It'll be four straight years under Scott Frost. And if they don't get to six and six, that'll be four straight sub 500 wins for Scott Frost. His record currently sits at 15 and 25. That is a three, seven, five winning percentage. So all of this stuff that we've talked about, they are, they are close and we see them being close in a lot of respects. Does a coaching change reset everything and put you back to square one? Or does a coaching change sort of bridge those metaphorical last six inches? Uh, I, I Ultimately, I think it goes back to what you believe about Scott Frost and what he's going to do. What is he willing to do? Does he understand why they're six inches short? Um, or is he thinking like, oh, we're so close. We just need a few breaks to go. I'm going to keep doing the same way. Or is he willing to uh, kind of adjust and reassess how he's doing things and put in the work to get over that hump? Is he willing to make whatever changes are necessary? Uh, and, and not even not talking about staff changes here. I'm talking about him and the way he runs the program and the Monday through Friday and all that stuff that leads up to the problems that we see on Saturday. Is he willing and capable of changing that stuff here. We're in year four and it doesn't seem like um, it, uh, there's much has changed there. So ultimately it's going to come down to what Trev Alberts believes about what Scott Frost is capable and willing to do. And that's something that we can't answer. We're not in those conversations. We're not in practice every week to see if changes are being made. Uh, but ultimately this falls on uh, Alberts and what he believes about Frost and where this is going, because if you don't feel like he is going to be able to fix those things, does it matter how close you are? Because you still can't win. Um, so I think I'd rather start over and even if it takes a step back, get in somebody that you have more confidence in the ability to kind of get where this program needs to be. Um, so th I think that th those are the questions that Trell Alberts has to um, answer for himself over the last four weeks of the season, four or five weeks of the season. Yeah, and before we kind of get to the, the big question of whether or not a coaching change um, would be needed and can get them to that last six inches, there's something else I've been thinking about in like the last day in that Nebraska is in full control over how that conversation is shaped at the end of the season. When we get past Black Friday and we're talking one way or the other about what needs to happen with, this, with um, Scott Frost, they have control over that. And what I, what I mean by that is if, to me, the big question right now that I'm thinking about is has Scott Frost built a team and a team culture that sees all of this talk surrounding their head coach and is going to go to bat for him? Like, are they going to rally around the fact that their backs are against the wall and that they need to perform better? Yes. The coaches also need to perform better. Yes. Scott Frost needs to lead better. Yes. That's all recognized. But, like, 
if you think about it, and Derek kind of mentioned it earlier and made me think about it again, when you think about the wide receiver issues and how, you know, you start off with one group and then you kind of push some of them out and you bring in another group. And to me, they've done that at so many different positions that I wonder like how much continuity there is there and how much like people really have his back. I think we're going to find that out come these last four games because his back's against the wall. Now to answer the actual question, I think a new coach would help get them over or past that last six inches because I just don't know if Scott Frost is the guy, the right guy for this particular team and what it needs. And by that, I mean, I think that this team needs, and I know people will go, oh my God, they need someone closer to what Bo Pelini was like than they do someone that's like Scott Frost. Scott Frost to me is two hands off for what this team needs. And we saw it again this past week when, you know, oh, we just need to get to the bye week and, you know, kind of letting the team, because I think that we have more leadership and I think that our team is more veteran. They're going to be able to handle this. Obviously they could not handle that, right? Like, I just think that the team needs more of someone who will give them more of a kick in the pants on a regular basis um, than what Scott Frost seems to be willing to do or can do because maybe it's not his personality or whatever. Um, but I just feel that that would help them down the road. Sean Eichhorst's head is uh, exploding. <laughs> Steve, where you at? I think we're going to learn a lot from uh, this team in these last four games too. Like Greg pointed out, will they fight for, for Scott? Um, will they come out just completely fat, flat, um, and just kind of just cruise through these last four games? because they know that they're not going to make a bowl game um, if, if they don't go three and one. But uh, yeah, it's uh, I I'm, I'm kind of on the boat that a, it might be a time for a, a coaching change, but again, we're going to learn a lot from this team and, and how much they want to fight for the head coach um, in these last four games. Yeah. I think the point that needs to be made here as we sit, what is it October 21st talking about a potential coaching change? There's still four games left and a lot about the narrative can change over it's the next a lot over four the weeks. last couple of weeks, right? Like, it's it been some major you know, like, momentum yeah. shifts. <laughs> We've seen some major shifts just in the last few weeks. Yeah. Nebraska is certainly bipolar in that respect. And that, you know, you're, you're talking about them coming off the Northwestern game. A lot of people are picking them not just to cover against Michigan, but outright win against Michigan. And then they, if the way that game ends, it's like, well, Nebraska is the best four loss team in the country. You get a lot of that from, from not just local Nebraska people, but like the Reddit college football pages tweeting that. So you're getting like national attention for, Hey, this is an improved Nebraska team. Greg, I think I said this on your podcast when I, whenever I was on it last, I think we're they've reached the point where Trev is going to have to evaluate this season based not on wins and losses, but how it looks and how it feels. Um, and to your guys' point about how the team is going to respond and how the team is going to either have Frost back or not over the last four games, I think that's going to answer a lot of questions that Trev has and that Trev should be asking himself. So I think the evaluation period for him right now is basically like, is this a team that is moving in the right direction and I can see progress and I can see growth and I can see guys that still believe in what's going on. If God forbid they lose to Purdue. What does the loss look like? What is the team? What is the team's response? How do they start the game against Purdue? If it's a loss, what does the loss 
look like if it's you know purdue has a, a last minute drive like i'm sorry to bring this up app state beating your uh your your is it chance or or shots steve uh shots okay shots <laughs> i want to get the correct nomenclature if it's a loss like that or it's a field goal in the last second you know i i think i just think it's different and i think you know i think part of this with trev is and and brandon vogel made this point so i want to give him credit um, he's going to have to decide whether Nebraska's inability to win these close games is because of frost or because of some kind of quality with the Nebraska program overall. And it's been this way. It, this, this sort of this lingering kind of quality predates frost. It's not, a, it's not necessarily something that he showed up and all of a sudden Nebraska started, you know, pooping its pants late in games. Like Nebraska's I think four and 28 against top 10 opponents um, since 2000 and the record against just ranked opponents in the, in the AP poll is just as bad. Um, they haven't been able to, to consistently get themselves over the hump under uh, what was the guy's name before Bo Pelini, who I'm now Bill Callahan. I don't know why my brain just blanked on him. Bill Callahan, Bo Pelini, Mike Riley, you know, Bo was fired because he couldn't get over the proverbial hump. Um, and now you're at, at, now you're at Scott Frost. So Trev's sort of thing is going to be, if I am making a coaching change, does it solve the problem or is Frost getting me closer to where we need to be? And part of, you know, part of Nebraska's problem over the last two decades is, Greg, the word that you use, continuity. They haven't had enough of it. I am a firm believer in continuity in sports, and sports organizations breed success. Um, and I think, to an extent, Trev's tenure as the athletic director is going to be defined by the decision that he makes with Scott Frost, the way that he handles Scott Frost's situation. And if that is indeed the case, I wonder if because we are having this conversation of I don't know if Scott Frost is the guy to get us there, even at the end of this season, if it's if it's still I don't know. I mean, some of this is just being unlucky. Some of this is guys making mistakes. Some of it, if it's not clear and I don't think it's clear because we have been able to have this conversation for the last hour. Does he just wait one more year and say it's on you? Like you're going to answer the question one way or the other. If it's another year of this, then that answers the question. Um, but even then that's just kicking the can down the road one more year. Cause you could say that that's the case this year. Where are you guys at? That's I, I think, and I was going to, as you were saying that I was thinking about the whole like staff retooling situation and like, does he get the Scott Frost? How does he get to the point? And this is where I honestly, where I sit right now is I think that the, the best case scenario for how the season is trending is that Scott somehow comes out of this season with the ability to retool his staff. Um, and that's the best case scenario to me. So when you think about that, are you then just kicking the can down the road? And if you need to do that in year four, like, is that really, like, is there, are there any examples of that actually turning an entire program around? And the question that I would also have, if I'm Trev, along with the one that Brandon posed, which is really good, is as we're hoping to get like better and over the hump or even to the hump in this case, because the record has been so bad, why has it been so bad? Why can't it be 500 while we try to get there, right? Like, why does it have to be 
no bowls for four years if, if it goes the way. I mean, technically they could still, you know, pull off this three-win miracle. But why does it have to be that? Um, and like how, do, like, how come that gap has not been, been bridged over these last four years? And I think that would be an interesting answer as well to find out is that why it has had to be this bad. Again, just to play devil's advocate, I don't want people listening to this to start skewering me on social media. It was very bad when he took over. Very bad. Okay. It was very bad. Can I push it was, back on that? No. I, well, I'm going to. Okay, we say that. And, and I'm trying, I want to be careful on how I phrase this. We say that it was very bad when he took over. And we, and we, and people, by people, I mean everyone in this case, turned a blind eye when Scott Frost ran all of those guys off that were Mike Riley guys. And as Scott Frost took those digs at Mike Riley in the previous regime, we all said, chucked it up to, hey, that Frost confidence and he's going to get them going, right? But they were much more successful than Scott Frost has been. Like, it's not really close. And so, like, to say that it was very bad under Mike Riley is, yeah, sure. But if it, that was very bad, what is this? I'm not, I'm not saying it was very bad under Mike Riley. I'm saying the situation in his first year was very bad. It was a bad situation. And so you can, you know, I don't want to make excuses for four and eight, but you can understand four and eight in that context. 2019 was a, was a disappointment. You want, yeah, if you want to call it a failure. Given, given the expectations of the year two bump, given what we had, yeah, yeah. Well, they sort of did that to themselves to, to some degree. Um, which, which is, which is a, a, a con in Frost column to be completely fair that he, you know, that he didn't, he didn't immediately shut down like, Hey, we went 13 and 0 in our year two there. We're going to do that here. He didn't shut that down. And so that's kind of a problem. Um, but year three is COVID. So like, I don't like the year zero acronym jargon, garbage stuff. I don't like that, but this, it, you, you have to take each individual situation on its specific merits and, and, and factor in context and year one, zero, whatever you want to call it, 2018, the situation was bad. Like it was, he didn't have a quarterback, didn't have an offensive line and defensively their starting point was like 127th nationally out of 130 teams. That was the defensive starting point for them. That's where they've had to climb from. And so when you have that and you don't have a quarterback and you're starting a true freshman that didn't play a senior year of high school football, like it, that's a, that's a tough starting point. And you're also starting from a point where dudes weren't squatting from your, where your strength and conditioning program was, was so like lacking it's it's a tough situation now i agree with you that they they you know avery roberts is a tackling machine for oregon state and some of the guys that have left the program have been successful elsewhere i you're right 100 percent. but it was still and because of that like it was it was a bad situation and so now we're in year four and you can sort of understand three and five whatever it was in 2020 because it was COVID and everything was wild. And you can sort of understand 2018. This isn't, this isn't, and again, I'm not like, I'm not like making excuses for a 15 and 25 record because that's, that shouldn't be acceptable at a place like Nebraska, but this is just weird. All of this is weird. 
all of it is weird and requires like couching and a lot of context. Right. But why do we have to couch so much? Why do we, why does it have to be that? That's fair. Bad? Like That's fair. I'm seriously like, and I went back and I pulled up the schedule and I remember if that, that Troy game that they lost 24, 24 to 19 in Lincoln to Troy, that was I believe Andrew Bunch was a starting quarterback. Right? Andrew right. Bunch was your okay. starting quarterback. I will give you that, but should you be losing to Troy at home? Andrew Bunch should was your you starting lose, quarterback. Should you be blown out by Purdue at home in that year? And so my bigger point here is, is why can't there be more bridging of the gap to get by? It, it seems like it's so all or nothing. It's but either, here's, here's, here's what I would say to that. They have bridged the gap. They lost by three points to Michigan. A punt kept them from winning the game. And, and you know, other stuff happened, I know. <laughs> yeah. a, a punt cost them a, another top 10 victory on the road against Michigan State. They were in the game with a chance to win at the end on the road against a top 10 Oklahoma team that might make the playoffs. Like, it's not like it's not like whatever it was against Ohio State in 2019 where they come to town and, and you're on ABC and the game is over three minutes after the start. They, like, ABC was in town. It was a night game from Michigan, and they were in the game at the end. You have bridged the gap. You just haven't won games, and it's been so frustrating the way they haven't won games. But they have bridged the gap, right? Because you're not getting blown out in those games. Okay, so they're not. Uh, they they've made improvements. Instead of losing by a lot, they're losing by a little, but right? they're still losing. Right. I. I I don't know, man. I struggle with that. And I feel like, again, this also comes back to a little bit of that psyche of the team thing, as I often wonder if, is, if part of why what happened at Minnesota, because the team heard that they were so close to beating these really good teams and they really believed that, pumped themselves up with that, thinking, oh, we're just playing Minnesota. And then they went out there and laid an egg against Minnesota. Um, I just kind of wonder if that was a factor in that case, too. Um, it's, it's just tough. Like I, I do agree though, <laughs> as we argue about this with your larger point that there's a lot of weird here. Yeah. And that's what makes this such a fascinating thing and such a tough decision for Trev Alberts as we sit here on October 21st. Now, I think that some of this will be answered by the time we get to the end of the season, uh, one way or the other, because if it continues to go really badly and let's say they lose out, um, then we, I, I think we kind of know, um, but if they make things interesting and they win a couple of these, then it also makes that it makes that an even tougher decision. Yeah, if they lose out and they lose because that would be six straight losses to the end of the season, you you they have answered yeah, the question. Yeah, you couldn't have You're, another three yeah. and not like you could. Like you, you, you they they have answered the question. And it's funny, Trev doesn't listen to this podcast. I know he doesn't listen to this podcast, but let's just <laughs> say Trev Alberts is listening to this podcast. Like everything that's being said, he's just nodding along and being like, yeah, now you guys see why my job sucks right now. Oh, yeah. yeah. Steve, where are you at on all of this? I wanted to ask you guys, what do you think about – so do you agree that Nebraska plays up to competition and then plays down to competition? 100%, yes. Yes, 100%. So is that <laughs> yeah. is that a, like coaching? Do you view that as the players and what they view um, at like – how they view their opponents like oh we're going to minnesota they lost to bowling green we'll beat them is that is that like still happening in year four of this program yeah i I think that's a problem with coaching exactly yes i i agree with that even though it flies in the face of the the one sloganeering that we get like thrown down our throats all the time about nameless faceless opponent 
Yeah, they have them too. <laughs> that shouldn't but, be the case. Like if they they talk so much about that, but yet that it clearly is the case that Nebraska plays differently based on the opponent. Unless they're playing Ohio State, then in which case it's just rough either way. Like everyone else, like there's an ebb and flow depending on who they're playing. But I don't like the nameless, faceless opponent thing. And I've Neither never do liked I. it. I've talked to, I've actually, to shout out Brandon Vogel again. We had a long conversation about this one day um, about how the program has not been in the position to really actually embrace that type of mentality. They actually need to be told, I think, on a weekly basis that you need to get fired up for this opponent. It would be preferable to me if they had been really pissed off in the last week leading up to Minnesota, because clearly Minnesota has beef with Nebraska, clearly PJ Fleck and Scott Frost don't get along. Like I would have been better going into that week if they had just kind of come out and alluded to that versus the whole name was faceless opponent thing. I don't think it serves the program. Plus just big picture. There's a reason why every sports team or most of them use different slogans. Yeah. Like it works. Yeah. We're talking about 18 year olds. And I, and I think it, I think it works both ways as well. I think it works both ways to get yourself ready for big games, to get yourself ready for rivalry games, but also to get your team into a mental headspace where it, I think, I think there's an element to like, let's say you're playing Illinois and you acknowledge the fact everyone thinks these guys are beneath you. Do not go out and play to their level. You are better than this team. Go prove that you are better than this team, as opposed to saying, you know, nameless, faceless opponent, everybody's tough. You know, we got it. I think there's an element to, you You need to go out and, and motivate you guys. And, and, you know, this is, this is, that's a great point, Steve. I'm glad you brought it up. I think it's, it, it has been one of the problems because they do play up to competition and they do play, unfortunately, down to competition. A lot. I, I, I just think that goes along with the disconnect on offense and why I think that a change like, needs to not I don't like honestly I think probably like Trev probably brings him back next year um but me personally I think that's why there probably needs to be a change is because on the offensive side of the ball I think there's just a disconnect not everybody's just again we, we've talked about the weird stuff happening they've been so close but there's always like I always ask myself what's Nebraska's offensive identity they don't have one but their identity is making a back breaking mistake and playing down to their opponents and playing up to their opponents and still coming out on the losing end. I think there's a disconnect that that's just, it's been four years of that already. And I think that there needs to be a change, honestly. Man. And I wish like the, the thing is though, and now I'm going to play devil's advocate to, to Derek or to be like Derek here. And that I think that a little bit of an identity was starting to be shown on offense with the option stuff. Now mm-hmm. it's, but they're not going full bore with that. Oh, but yes, they're not going full bore with that. But could you make the argument that they're not going full bore with that because Adrian's actually injured? Um, I don't know. But no, also, you can't. No, you can't. You can't <laughs> say you can't say we can't run the option because our quarterback is banged up. Well, then you shouldn't have been running the option in the first place. Or you should have had him out there, like like, and you knew that for most of the week. It's not like that snuck. Like that injury didn't happen within the game. Um, and so I'll get, but again, some, so many of these things though, then end up coming back to coaching because it's still rubbing the wrong way that we went back to, was it week one or week two when they started doing some of that option stuff? I think it was week two. Um, and then, well, technically week one. And then Scott Frost said, oh no, this isn't going to be part of our, this won't be around. It won't be a main part of our offense. And then it continued to steadily grow, um, within the offense. But I do think that they, I think that they kind of have found something with that. 
But then to Steve's point, they then didn't make that the main feature of the run game. And I wonder, I, w- I just wonder why, why that is that that couldn't have been the main feature of the run game when it worked. And there were so many things built off of that, as you saw in the Michigan game, that as Derek's point, their stuff works in a lot of cases. And that was one of them, but it just doesn't seem to be fully leaned into. And maybe it's because that's not the offense, but I don't know. That's, that's the answer to me. I, I think it's because this wasn't an expected development for them. It was something where, this works and we have to find ways to get around our offensive line to create space and to create opportunities for Adrian, either in the run game or the pass game. I think part of it is, you know, when Frost says in week one, week two, whenever it was where he's like, yeah, I don't, this isn't, this isn't a huge part of our offense. It's just something that's kind of there. It has grown because I think instead of it being something that they planned on growing throughout the season, I think it's an adjustment that they have made to where, again, it goes back to the offensive line. We don't, we're, we're, we're just going to, we're going to try to push the offensive line, block them down. And we're going to leave that one guy. And we're just going to let Adrian be in space and use his God-given athleticism to make plays. And you see them start to build play action off of it as it has worked, which is like what well, he's getting the ball out relatively quickly. I think it's one of those things where it's just, it's something that they have, that they have used as, as a, an answer to, we don't have a competent offensive line. But I yeah. actually, it's encouraging that they did that in the first place. Then I would, I would say that um, because it, there are other times where you think that stubbornness would to keep hold and not allow for that. Um, I just wish they would lean into it. Yeah, I mean that's one way to help out a poor offensive line um, for an offense is to do a lot of the spread option things that they that they have been doing. Um, but again, when you have a quarterback who obviously isn't 100% and doesn't want to be running the running the ball and you want to protect him and the backup quarterback situation is what it is with Logan Smothers. Um, I mean, you get performances like we got at Minnesota, right? Yep. Yeah. I, you know, and this is, this is like this whole, this whole conversation since we pivoted to the, the Scott Frost, is he, or is he not, it has just been a whole big like shoulder shrug where you're just like, yeah, we got, you know, I feel this, but also I could see this. Well, but there's the, well, but also I could see, you know, it's just, that's, that's, that's kind of where you're at. And which, which, you know, that that's why I just keep coming back to if they had a above average offensive line, I don't think we're having this conversation. And to a large degree, if Jacques Yant doesn't stumble, I think the conversation is different. If Adrian doesn't fumble, I think the conversation is different. If, you know, the punt goes right instead of left. I think the conversation is different. And some of those things are just like, what do you do with that? Um, and so Greg, I think you've made the the best point of the whole podcast that like the last four games are, are going to either change the narrative again, probably three or four more times, <laughs> um, or, you know, they're going to give you your answer. So we will, uh, we will see. We accomplished a whole lot of nothing on this podcast. Congrats guys. But that's, that's the way this first eight games have gone. So I think it actually was very emblematic of what the, what this experience has been like. Cool. All right. Well, you guys got to go. Jacob dropped off already. Um, thank you both for, for coming on this podcast. I appreciate you guys this time. Thank, thank you, you for having me. Read both Greg and Steve and Jacob as well. Um, he dropped off. I forgot to say him. Read all of them at hillvarsity.com. Again, subscribe. hillvarsity.com back. So subscribe. Make sure that you are listening to everybody's podcasts. 
There's no Nebraska football game this weekend, but there is college football and there will still be Hale Varsity content on the website this weekend. So make sure that you are reading that and we'll be back next week. Thanks guys. Huda Media Production.